Love you. Love being a part of this team, a part of this staff. I love being loved. Doesn't being loved feel better than not being loved? It does. I, I have these two boys. I've ha- I have a seven-year-old. Well, he's about to be seven in two weeks, and a five-year-old. He just turned five. And if you, if you walk past them, ride your bike past them, jog past them on the belt line, they're going to tell you that they love you. And I thought for a moment, it's like, do I need to rein that in? But I thought, what a beautiful thing that we can raise our kids to assume that people are worthy of love before they've ever had a conversation. Come on. Amen. That'll preach. But we're in a series called Reenchantment, and it's really a series about the beauty of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Who is God the Holy Spirit? What does God the Holy Spirit do? It's like a diamond, and you let the light shine through it, and different colors come through, and we get different kinds of revelation, different kinds of truth for us to internalize and to embody and to live as our lives are transformed in the following of Jesus through the power of his spirit, right? And so that's what we're in. We're in a series about God, the Holy Spirit, and we've called it re-enchantment. When we talk about this word re-enchantment, in part what we're talking about is living a life full of awe and wonder, Living with a sense that there's more going on than what I can see, taste, hear, and touch. That there's more to me than the worst day of my life and the best day of my life. That there's, that there's more than my mental health and my emotional health. That there's more than my physical well-being. That, that there's more to the world than what I see on social media and in the news. That there's even more to what's going on than my own story. That my story takes place in a bigger story, God's story. And we can live enchanted in that story with a sense of awe and wonder and beauty. Or, as so many of us do, we can live our lives disenchanted. Or at least in seasons. And it's okay, I've had long seasons of disenchantment. No shade thrown at anyone who's in a place of disenchantment or has been in a place of disenchantment. I would argue I think it's probably a necessary component of the human experience. And yet, there's more to life than our disenchantment. There's an invitation to live beyond, grow beyond the disenchantment that we experience. And disenchantment comes for so many reasons and for so many ways, and I'll mention some of them. But before I get there, I wanna give you some images of enchantment that came to me as we were worshiping. So I was so excited, because I didn't even know how are we gonna start this thing. But I received from Rob's energy, from the worship team, thank you very much, and we're ready to go. So I wanna give you a few images. The first is this, if you're into film, Terrence Malick does enchantment better than any other director. If you watch his movies, especially The Tree of Life, what you're going to find are people in circumstances that typically disenchant us in the human experience, and yet the way he will shoot the film is that there will be the beauty of nature and the light of the sun shining through all things with whispery voices to remind us and to nudge us 
and to invite us into the bigger story in which our little story is taking place. Malik through film is enchanting us back to the beauty of God, to not be disillusioned or cynical, but to live in the grace and beauty of Holy Spirit. Another image, I love this morning when Kirby said, we can hear the birds. And we heard the baby cry and she recognizes it as worship. Because here's the thing, we can recognize that as distraction, a little interruption to your Sunday morning plans. It's kind of living a disenchanted worship life. Or we can recognize it as all creation groaning out to God, worshiping God, calling out for God. Two more images. I was at Arabia Mountain twice this week. It's the most hiking I've done in a very long time. Fortunately, it's not arduous hiking. The cynic in me goes, it's really not even a mountain. But there's a more enchanted way to live. But we took our staff on Tuesday, we took our staff on a staff retreat, not a staff advance, a staff retreat. We wanted to retreat as a team for the purpose of being with God as we are with each other. And as we were sharing around some of our experiences of going up that mountain, one of our team members shared how when she was going up the mountain, there's these, if you've been to Arabia Mountain, it's, it's kind of just a big rock with, with craters. And there's these pools of water all scattered all over the place as you go up the mountain. And as she was going up the mountain, as she would get to a pool of water, she would just lay down by the still waters to be with God. Right? Psalm 23, he lies me down, or he leads me to the still waters, right? This is beautiful. Here's the thing with Arabia Mountain. It can just be a mountain you hike for the sake of exercise. It can be a place you go to walk your dog and fly a kite. It can just be a rock that's not even a mountain outside the city of Georgia. Or we can live enchanted and it can be the place where God lays us down by the still waters in a dry and barren land and speaks to us in a way that refreshes our soul. Amen? Then I took my, I went with my wife and two sons on Friday afternoon. It was amazing, there was no one there, just two guys flying kites. So we had like this whole thing to ourselves. And at one point we had walked to this place on Arabia Mountain where there's boulders. And my son Julian, he's five years old, he gets up on this boulder and he's straddling it like it's a horse. And the wind is blowing fast. And he's got sort of longish hair, and so his hair is blowing in the wind, and he starts to slap the rock. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. And he's got the look of pure joy on his face because children live their lives enchanted. It's more than a rock. 
and it's more than the wind. There's something bigger and more happening. For us, it can just be a rock. It's just a rock. It's just the wind. It's not a, no. It's the light of God, the joy of God, the delight of God coming through a rock and a wind. Can you see it? It's why Jesus says, can you become like little children? In fact, the Russian author Dostoevsky said this, the soul is healed by being with children. I actually think that's true. The soul is healed. Children live enchanted lives. My kids haven't experienced enough to be fully disappointed and disillusioned and to have things, their, their enchantment so annihilated by the things in life that do that, right? By the way, we have an amazing Kid Town ministry. It's full right now. This morning they started a series on the Holy Spirit to know God, love everyone, do God's work, make us a part of God's family. Come on, I want my kids to learn that. They're doing great stuff up there. I want to invite some of you. We just need you to volunteer up there. We need you to invest in those kids. One, your soul needs to be healed by spending time with children who will open your heart back up. And secondly, just as a family, we, we just need some help. So would you, would you join us? A few years ago, about eight or nine years ago, I was at a dinner party. My wife and I were at a dinner party in Sarasota, Florida. And we were there with some other ministry-type leaders. There was a team who were planting a missionary school for, for a ministry called Iris Ministries in Sarasota at the time. There were another team there planting a YWAM base, YWAM, Sarasota. They were there. And so we were at this dinner party with people who had like a lot of vision for their life, a lot of energy around what God was inviting them into for that season of life. And then there was like me, I'll speak for me. My wife was also there, but I'll speak for me. And I was there like, I don't even know what we're doing in Sarasota. It's really hot. I just sweat all the time. I'm not really a big fan of the sand or the beach. The sun burns my skin. Like what are we doing here? I didn't have much vision at the time for why I was there. We, we knew it's where God has sort of nudged us to be, but I, I didn't have much purpose at the moment. We were still in the discovery phase of it. Have you ever been in one of those seasons? And then the woman hosting the dinner party asked this, it's actually a really amazing, really brilliant icebreaker kind of question. She said, what draws you or has drawn you to Jesus? And what keeps you following him? What draws you or has drawn you to Jesus? What keeps you following him? Which, to be around a table of ministry leaders is a really great question. I think a great question for anyone. And maybe even for some of you this morning, the question really is, what has drawn you here? Maybe you're watching on the live stream, like, what has drawn you to tune in? What of Jesus is drawing you to himself? For others of us, what of Jesus has drawn us to follow him? And so it was a great question, but I was in one of those 
you know, you're in one of those moments, you're like, how am I going to answer this thing? I don't know. A lot of like high-powered ministry people with really good, fancy answers, like what are, what are we going to like put on our impress everyone cap, you know, and really have a, have a good story, a real good answer? Have you ever done that? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. And I thought, you know, in that moment, I thought I could, I could probably give a little bit of like a theological response. It'd be a bit reductionistic, but, but I could give you one. And so I want to read this quick, John 16, 13, and 14. Because this is true. This isn't the answer I gave, but, but this is true, and I, I, I want to mention it. When the Spirit of truth comes, so when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. In other words, he will glorify Jesus, for he will take what is mine, this is Jesus, so he will take what belongs to Jesus and declare it to you. So in part, the reason any of us here, if you're going, what has drawn me here this morning, or if maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, in part why we're following Jesus is because God the Holy Spirit has taken what belongs to Jesus and revealed it to you. We call it revelation. You've had a revelation of Jesus. What's drawn you here or what is drawing you here this morning is a revelation of Jesus as God. Your need for Jesus, the provision of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus has been revealed to you by God, the Holy Spirit. This is how we know God, to throw back to what they're learning up in Kidtown. We know God because God reveals God to us through God. It's true. So that's true. And then I want to read, I want to read this. I want to read a, a little passage from Titus. You didn't think you were going to hear out of Titus today, did you? But it's a good one. Titus 3, 4 to 7. Actually, I'll read it. I like the translation on my notes. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Beautiful. What has drawn you to the Holy Spirit? God, the Holy Spirit, has revealed Jesus to you as God. What has kept you following the Holy Spirit, following Jesus in part? It's not because of works you've done, but because of the Spirit poured out richly upon you. The Spirit keeps you. Right? So this is a part of who the Holy Spirit is. This is a part of how we're enchanted. And this is a part of how we return to a re-enchantment. That God reveals God through revelation and then keeps us through his grace. Right? Okay. But that's not the answer I gave. 
And theology is good. I love, I love theology. But then there's like my story, right? Like, like I'm not just sitting there hearing that question only in context to my understanding of some, some, some theology points. I, I'm sitting here going, what has drawn me to follow Jesus and kept me following Jesus in context to my story? And sure, I was, I, I was drawn to Jesus at a young age. Five years old, I prayed for my dad, he was healed. He came home from work. He had blisters all over his feet and legs. He had to wear high boots. He was like hosing stuff down for eight or 10 hours or something that day. They were painful. When he put me to bed that night, it's one of my earliest memories as a child. I asked him, can I pray for you? And I prayed for him and the blisters went away. Five years old. Sam talked about this last week. when at a young age, eight years old, I don't even know what the preacher was saying. I just remembered him saying something like, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, come forward. So I did, eight years old. I didn't know what that meant. I still don't know what he meant. I couldn't tell you who it was or what he was preaching. I just know that I went forward. And when I did, from my toes, it started in my toes and all the way up through my body, it was like a warm electricity started at my toes, went all the way up through my body, out through my fingers, and I was started to speak in tongues eight years old. By the way, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit here. We do. We practice the gifts of the Spirit here. They're biblical. They're in the Bible. This isn't a talk about the gifts of the Spirit. But if you're new, we think you can heal the sick. We think you can speak in tongues. We think you can receive the gifts of the Spirit and live actively in those gifts in your life, here and now, today. And so I had those experiences, I had those stories, but to be honest, those, those really weren't the things that captured my heart. And truthfully, if I, if I begin to unpack my story, I could tell you more stories about the extraordinary beauty of God I see demonstrated in powerful ways through things like healing, and the prophetic, and and all the spiritual gifts. And I could tell you stories of how I've watched every one of those gifts misused, abused, and harmful to other people. And maybe you have that kind of story that you were harmed by someone power tripping or misusing in their immaturity spiritual gifts that God had blessed them with. And what I was thinking was, you know, for someone who was drawn to God from a young age, I hadn't always lived what I would call like a very faithful life. I lived a lot of my life far from God, running from God, because I experienced some disenchantment. Because I had experienced the disappointment that comes when you're a part of something like a church. I experience the hurt and the harm that comes when you're a part of a community of people. I experience the disillusionment that comes when you think a group of people are about one thing, like loving people. And then you get to a picnic with them and you find out they're, they're kind of dialed into like loving their people, but hating a whole bunch of other people all over the world. I understand that disillusionment. 
I understand the dissonance of going, the Jesus that is drawing me to him is not the Jesus I'm experiencing in my faith community. Am I the only one? And so when you're a teenager, you do what teenagers do. You buy a bunch of CDs and you spend your Sunday morning sleeping in and then listening to music the rest of the day. It was the 90s. I don't have the house fire CDs, but you know if they put that stuff out on record, I'd get them. I'd buy it. If they put out some limited edition colored vinyl, come on, Rob, talk to your wife. Right, but we've experienced this, haven't we? The disappointment, the disillusionment, the disenchantment, and there's so many reasons in our lives that that people become disenchanted. And there's a lot of really great work on it right now, a lot of really great books. But, I, but speaking just from my story, my disenchantment and my need for re-enchantment really was birthed it just in my experience of living life in, in, a, in faith communities. You know, and then we live in this world, and, and the world can often feel lonely. Am I the only one that ever feels alone? or has struggled with loneliness, that's quite a disenchanting state to be in if you don't know how to manage it or what it is. We can often feel anxious. Am I the only one that's had, I had par- my whole junior year, by the way, my junior year of high school, by mid-October I had missed enough days of school that they told me that they didn't have to graduate me or, or pass me at the end of that year. They, I had already had enough absences to fail my junior year by mid-October because I was having paralytic anxiety attacks. It's disenchantment, isn't it? It can disenchant you, it can disillusion you, it can disappoint you. The world can be angry, the world can be unfair. The world is unfair. The world can be cruel. The world can be violent. Am I the only one that feels the dissonance of this, that we follow the Prince of Peace in a world that is so often angry and cruel and violent, and so often it's church folk, isn't it, at the very center of anger and violence? These are the things that have disenchanted me. But when it came to, so, so when it got to my turn to respond, I had three words. In light of all of that, right, in light of, you know, some, some reductionistic theology on why I'm there, in light of my story of how God first drew me, but then how I experienced my life, What has drawn me to God? What has kept me? Because I knew I couldn't just speak of theological assent. I could, as important as it is, I couldn't just speak of a a perfect church experience. I didn't have one. It was painful. I only had these words. Jesus has been tender to me. Jesus has been tender to me. 
to me. That's in this verse in Titus, isn't it? But when the goodness and tenderness of our God and Savior appeared. What drew me to Jesus? The goodness and tenderness of Jesus. What keeps me to this day following Jesus? It's not that I found the perfect church. This isn't one. And newsflash, we're not perfect ministry leaders. You will be disappointed here. That doesn't give anyone an excuse to like just do whatever they want and hurt people. But it's just important to, to say it as it is, I think. What keeps me is the tenderness of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus. Brennan Manning says this, tenderness is what follows when Jesus reveals you to you your own inner beauty. When you discover your belovedness, when you experience that you are deeply and sincerely liked by someone. Brennan Manning, tenderness is what follows when someone reveals to you your own inner beauty. Did you know you're beautiful on the inside? That's true about you. By the way, I know you have sin. I know you have done stuff and stuff has been done to you and it's confusing and it's messy and some of you are in process and some of you are just plain avoiding it or stuffing it or doing all the things that we do to not have to face up to it. I get that. But what's deeper and more true to the human experience is that you are beautiful. By the way, that's the better translation in Genesis. We often translate good, very good, because we live in a Western society that likes to frame things like good or bad. But the Hebraic, the better word usage there is actually when God created, God said beautiful. And when God created you, God looked and said beautiful, very beautiful. That is what's most true about you. It might not be the most true experience you're having of yourself or that others are having of you or that you're having of others, but it is what is most true about you. When you discover your belovedness, that you're loved. Which, by the way, God in essence is love. So you're loved. God can't help but love you. That's who God is. God loves. God in essence is love. God is love, 1 John. If we look to the baptism of Jesus, what does the Father say over the Son? This is my beloved Son. Cool, we love that. We can live with that. Of course the Father loves the Son. What we struggle with is John chapter 17, which is the most profound declaration I think Jesus makes in all of the Bible. When Jesus says the Father loves you in the very same way the Father loves the Son. Can you accept that? Can you believe that about yourself? Can you believe that about your neighbor? Can you believe that about your enemy? Can you believe that about all the humans that are sharing this planet with us? That they are the beloved of God. God loves them. But it's not just that God loves you. 
Here's the challenge. God likes you. God delights in you. God likes you. This is my beloved son in whom I delight. God loves and delights in the son and loves and delights in you the very same way. This is the challenge of the gospel. To accept that right now, as you are, you are one who is liked by God. On the worst day of your life, liked by God. In your most painful memory, in the worst thing you've done, and the most harmful thing that's been done to you, liked by God. This is the tenderness of Jesus that draws us and keeps us. It's that Jesus loves you and likes you and will not let you go. And we receive this love, right? Remember we read this, that the Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus and gives it to you. And so we receive the tenderness of God. And through the Holy Spirit, we receive that tenderness. And through the Holy Spirit, we can live lives where we indiscriminately give that tenderness away to others. Here's the thing about tenderness. It's not just something that happens to you. You just don't wake up and you're tender one day. And by the way, often painful events make us tender, but not always. Painful events can make you very hard and very cynical and very disenchanted. In fact, the reason so many of us live disenchanted lives is because of the way we're processing and managing painful events. Pain doesn't, doesn't always equal a tender outcome, but it can. It certainly can. It's how God recycles the hard stuff of our life in a way that it becomes the soil in which the seeds of God's loving tenderness can grow in our heart. Right? So it's not just something that happens to us. Here's the other thing. It's not a personality type. I want to emphasize this because in the church we are addicted to personality profiles. You, we are. And most of us are addicted to them because we're looking for ways to not be what God has called us to be. We want to be our Enneagram number so we can just get away with being whatever the strength of our Enneagram number is. We want to be our Myers-Briggs. I can be introverted so I don't have to talk to you after a service. Rob wants to be extroverted so he can talk to you the whole service. Right? Strengths finder. All these things, we're, we're addicted to them. And, and uh, insights, gosh, we have colors. And then the way we talk about these things, it's like, well, if you're this color and that strengths finder thing and this, this A-Pest and that Enneagram, then you can or can't do any number of things. I'm like, I don't know. I graduated next to last in my high school class. I've always been the most anxious, shy person in the room. But God handed me a microphone. 
I don't think it has anything to do with any of that stuff. I think it has everything to do with the grace of God and the ability to receive kindness and tenderness because at some point you can just receive the gift of your limitations and say, Jesus, if you will give me a seat at your table, I will give a seat to anyone at mine. I'll make a fool of myself in front of people if you will continue to show me that mercy and kindness that I don't deserve and didn't earn. That's all by your grace. But you love me and like me, and that's what's most true about me. But the point is, tenderness is not a personality type. It is an invitation for every one of us to cultivate in our life. It's not for certain people. It's for all of us. We're all called to live in receiving and giving away the tenderness of God. You can gain the whole world, lose your whole soul, right? Jesus says this, but we still think we can gain the whole world and like not be tender or kind or gentle or patient or long-suffering, even though those things are like the fruit of the Spirit. Like, then what spirit is animating our work? What spirit's animating how we, our marriage? What spirit's animating our parenting? What spirit's animating the way we live with our roommates? What spirit's animating the way we send our children off to school? What spirit's animating the way we go to work? Is it a spirit of tenderness? But when the goodness and tenderness of Jesus appeared. So this is what I do quickly. I want to give us a few ways to cultivate the seeds of tenderness in our life. Just some practical stuff. And I already talked about this. Can you accept yourself as one truly liked by God? How do we do this? How do we cultivate a life in which we can accept that we're one truly liked by God? I'm going to give you a practice. It's called a breath prayer. And it's really simple. And I would actually challenge you, some of you who cannot receive the tenderness of God in your life. It's been hard for you. It's been a struggle for you. This would be my challenge for you. I want you to go sit in a solitary and silent place for 15 to 20 minutes a few days a week and in silence when you breathe in, Abba. And when you breathe out, I belong to you. It's called prayer. That when I breathe out, I'm just taking a deep breath in and as that breath is filling my lungs, I'm just holding the word Abba in my mind. And as I breathe out that phrase, I belong to you in my mind. And I promise you over time, it will drop from your head into your heart, down into the very core of your being, where you internalize it in such a way that when you wake up, when you walk, and when you lie down at night, what we will believe most of the time 
is that we belong to God, that we're God's beloved. Some of us have been praying, Abba, I belong to you for a long time. But your reenchantment is wrapped up in your ability to see that others belong to God too. And so for you, my challenge would be to take that same prayer, to breathe in Abba, but to now pray, we belong to you. We belong to you. We all belong to God. Amen? Second, read, pray, sing the Psalms, all of them. All the delight, all the pain, find yourself in the Psalms. Experience God in all of your life. Henry Nouwen talks about prayer like this. Through prayer, we can carry in our heart all human pain and sorrow, all conflicts and agonies, all torture and war, all hunger, all loneliness and misery, not because of some great psychological or emotional capacity, but because God's heart has become one with ours. Receive the tenderness of God by sitting with Jesus, allowing Jesus to wash your feet, to receive from Jesus, to pray those breath prayers. And then find yourself in the the Psalms. Read the Psalms, pray the Psalms, sing the Psalms. Some of you need to write your own Psalms. Most people, by the way, when you do an exercise to write Psalms, write Psalms of lament. Because your life is full of grief that you've not yet grieved and you're not even realizing that so much of the loneliness and anxiety and disenchantment you feel is locked into things, the losses you've yet to grieve with God. So even if you would write a psalm of lament like, where are you, God? Answer me, God. Don't delay. Write some psalms. And it's in that place of prayer that our heart becomes like God's heart. You become what you behold. Sit with Jesus. You become like what you spend time with. Spend time with God and God's word. Read the psalms. Pray the psalms. Sing the psalms. Third, learn and practice the gospel accounts of Jesus. All these accounts are going to be overflowing with God's tender love towards, the, to, towards you and wherever you find yourself and towards all of those someone in society is going to deem as unworthy of receiving that tenderness. But Jesus says they're deserving. And what does this mean? This means this tender way of love will not always be convenient. How many of you know in parenting, like tenderness is not convenient in parenting. If, you, if your kids have expressed big emotions one time at Target when you thought you were just going to run in and then get to that meeting, you know that tenderness in that moment is inconvenient. But the stories of Jesus, the life of Jesus will form us into people who can stop for the one so that we can show tenderness. Beyond that, we will see Jesus crossing boundaries following the spirit into what I would say our gag reflex. Who are the people and what are the places that make you feel disgust? I promise you, in the, if you follow the way of the tenderness of Jesus, you will find yourself being led to them. You know, St. Francis of Assisi is known for hanging out in leper colonies. But the whole story is that lepers disgusted him. And until one day he ran towards one and kissed one on the head in an act of tenderness and embrace, it wasn't until that moment 
that he and his movement then were known as hanging out with the lepers. God will move you to and through your gag reflex until the people and the places that disgust you become family. This is the tenderness of God that draws me and keeps me. When we look at the accounts of Jesus, I talked about physical healing, and I know I've seen egregious abuses of this stuff, but I'm telling you, they don't get to keep it. Have you ever been with someone who's sick and dying? Look, I'm a pastoral care pastor. I believe in sitting with the sick and dying. I had to sit in the space with my mom as she breathed her last breath. I get it. But the same tender heart of Jesus that will allow us to weep and grieve and sit with the sick and the dying, those who are in pain and chronic pain will be the same tenderness of Jesus that will give us the courage to say, I don't know, but can I lay hands on you? Not because I need a story to tell, not because I'm writing a book and I have a product to sell and I need you to get, get, get a good story in there, not because I'm preaching a sermon. I'm even going to tell you about stories. I don't care. What I care about is that our hearts would be open and tender enough to go, I only do what I see the Father doing. And if the Father is going, would you just ask them? If you can lay a hand on and say, be healed or be well or pray however you pray and whatever words you pray because it's not Harry Potter magic. Like, God does stuff. I've seen wild stuff in tender moments. Some of you need healed. God, do some healing this morning. If we're going to live tender, We've got to let go of our need to be powerful, in control of outcomes, our need to change others. Listen, we speak and we serve with tenderness, but it's Jesus through the grace of God that changes others. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. You're not responsible for people's change. Just speak to them and serve to them in the tenderness of Jesus. Give up your need to be powerful over them in control of their outcomes, to change the decisions they make. Stop with that stuff. Be tender. You know, Jesus could let people walk away. What do I need to to do to be saved? Take your wealth, sell it, give it to the poor. No thanks. And his heart broke. But he didn't chase him. He didn't coerce him. He didn't force him. Tenderness. If your heart breaks, that's when you know you've arrived at the right place. Not that they've followed you. Another way we can let go of this stuff. How do we let go of that stuff? Examine your day at the end of the day. In prayer. God, what did I experience today? What was I feeling in the moment? What do you have to say about that? What do I need to repent of? And allow God to do that work in your life. Lastly, compassionate listening. If we're going to live lives of tenderness in the way of Jesus, can we give ourselves to, a, to compassionate, not combative listening? The world right now is full of combative listeners. I'm going to listen long enough to you for you to say something wrong so I can annihilate 
your reputation and be right and win a culture war. That's not the way of Jesus, friends, by the way. It is not the way of Jesus. Tenderness is the way of Jesus. Compassionate listening is the way of Jesus. And what I love about compassionate listening is it demands that we're in the present with a person. Greg Boyle says it like this. The tender doesn't happen tomorrow. It only happens in the now. Right? It's like walking on the road and the, and the, and the, the guy's hurt. And you're like, ah, oh, man, I'll, just, I'll like show some compassion tomorrow, tenderness tomorrow. No, it's like what the Samaritan knows is the only time to show compassion and tenderness is in that moment. It's when the person is in tears to lean in and show tenderness. Not like, well, after I finish up this email, then I'll like, get around to checking in. After this meeting, I'll get around to checking what's, what's up. I love it when I get texts at work. I mean, I don't, because I don't want people to have like mornings where their kids are, are like challenging. But I love it when people on our staff can go, man, I'm running late, like my kids are having a morning, and we can just go, hey, bless you, it's okay. Why? Because we believe we want to be a people who show tenderness in the moment to those most in need of it, not get to the next meeting. Only happens in the now. So how do we do compassionate listening? We listen to understand. Compassion means that we're moved in our, in our bowels, like in our guts we're moved. Can we listen to people in a way that, that we're in awe of their story, we're in awe of what they've had to carry, not in judgment of how they've carried it, that we understand who they are and where they're coming from? Compassionate listening. And it's disarming compassionate listening. I'm not waiting to bludgeon you or to harm you with my truth, with my story, with my experience. But I'm listening to understand. Friends, we are gardeners, not soldiers. We are gardeners, not soldiers. Whenever I talk about this, people are like, what about convictions? Let me tell you about convictions. Can you, can you ha- hold your convictions in a disarmed way? If we're going to have compassionate listening, listen to understand, and then don't lose yourself. Don't lose your convictions. When listening to others with compassion and empathy, we do not and should not lose our sense of self and convictions. But here's the thing. Convictions don't have to be the armor and the weapons of soldiers waging war. Convictions can be the deep roots of our lives finding their stability and strength in the soil of God's tender love and mercy. When the storms come, we will have some flexibility, but like oaks of righteousness remain unmoved. You can have your convictions and be unmoved in them, but can you have compassion and openness, tenderness towards another? And then lastly, we'll have to hold the tension because when we make room for another without losing ourselves, and we find ourselves, we're not agreeing with them, but we're also not reacting, growing impatient, or becoming defensive. We're going to be in between two worlds. 
And here's where Galatians 5, 6 is so helpful. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love, not winning arguments. Which, by the way, that verse is in context to an argument around circumcision. And Paul says, you know, the only thing that matters really is faith expressing it through love. The band can come. I don't know what kind of sustenance, shade, or beauty the garden of your life needs, but I know this, the seeds of tenderness, if we practice them, we'll grow the flowers and fruit of that very God-like tenderness in our lives. Now, if I'm honest, at 42 years old, not very old, but older than the average person at our church, I have been most captured by the lives of people who have made tenderness their life vision. Who have said, what I know is at the end of my life, I want to be more tender than I am today. That I want to know that I've received the tender love of God and that I've lived a life giving it away. The world can be unfair. The world can be angry. The world can be full of hate-fueled violence. And our lives can often be full of disappointment and disillusionment and disenchantment. But I would say choose to live in and choose to live from the tenderness of God. Live gently. Live tenderly in a violent world. Return to your first love. Allow Jesus to again draw you with the goodness and tenderness of his love. Amen.